I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 21st, second day in the, of the Australian Open in the books. What a chaotic day it was. 96 scheduled matches. They didn't get through all of them, but they got through 88 of them, which is a testament to the organization running the Australian Open this year that they got through that many matches, rebalanced the schedule to get us all set heading into the second round. It's a credit to them. So, hey, Great shot, as we like to say here at our Crack Rackets podcast. But of course, there is tons of tennis to talk about. I think it was 13 three-set matches for the WTA, 13 five-set matches for the ATP. As I mentioned, 88 matches total. We're not going to break them all down, but we'll try and get through as many as we can. Joining me to do just that, you know him as a former Denison men's tennis superstar, the host of our mini break podcast, co-host of our mini break podcast throughout many of the days of the week, and a guy who is so dedicated to this crew, to informing you listeners that he is calling in from his lunch break, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. I'm like a call-in guest, so you better treat me nicely, all right? (laughs) I have to treat you a little better than I normally would. Exactly, for sure. No, that's fair. And look, I feel like we all were just treated as nicely as possible. A day of 88 matches. How many matches did you have going at once on the stream? Because again, it it was a full slate of matches from what, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time when it started to like 9 a.m. Eastern time this morning. It was a lot. At one point, I think I had four going at once. Um, Phone, laptop, both TVs. Um, For the most part, I had three. I was laying on the floor, one on the laptop, uh, phone in my hand, looking up other stuff. And then uh, two TVs going. So yeah, it was good. It was a lot of tennis, but, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm ready for it. This is why the major season is so fun. Especially the first four days, the most chaotic in terms of planning a podcast, but you get tennis at all times of the day. You are treated to replays. If you want to go back and watch, there's just a lot of tennis to digest. And that's why it's fun to do these mini break podcasts. That's why we try and do these slam daily, uh, recaps to help you listeners organize, shuffle through all of the results and get reset for the next day's action. Uh, Look, as I mentioned, there's a ton of different places we could go. We're not going to break down every result, but we are going to break down a couple to start today's podcast. And I think the match we have to start with, one of the first results of the day, uh, Hubie Hercatch, a guy who many had circled as a dark horse threat to Roger Federer in that section of the draw. Hypothetically, they'd match up in the third round. Hercatch, a couple of good results at the ATP Cup, uh, where he knocked off players such as, uh, you look through his results there, beating uh, guys like Dominic Team, Borna Chorich, Diego Schwartzman, 3-0 in his time. Did Team Poland win? No, but it certainly 
certainly wasn't because of Hubert Hurkacz's effort. You wonder between that, between him playing Auckland where he made the semifinals. Uh, he had a lot of tennis under his belt, and there was a reason people were fond of him because his form had looked so good. Uh, but coming out of the gates in this match, he struggled against the qualifier. Dennis Novak goes down two sets to love, 7-6, 6-1. And then Jamie, he summoned the sort of performance that I think a bunch of the next-gen guys who were on court today could not. He managed to turn the tides, uh, come back in his match, take it to a fifth set. He was up a break in that fifth, ultimately surrendered it, but got it back at the end. 6-4 in the fifth for Hubie. A great result for him, even if he doesn't go on to beat Federer, just to show that when the guns are on him, when all the pressure's on, that he can go down two sets to love recover. It's a big breakthrough for the young Polish player. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird result, but in a way, I think there's a lot of positives from from it. I mean, you already mentioned a couple. I think for me, when we're looking at this scoreline, you see the third, fourth, and fifth set, 6-2, 6-3, 6-4 over Novak. I mean, I feel like if you're looking at this, you're like, yeah, okay, I, I expect that sort of win from him, given the form that we've seen him in, right? That's not unreasonable. What's crazy is the fact that he goes down two sets to love. But like you mentioned, having a win like this under his belt after going down two sets to love, really impressive on his end. Um, and, and, you know, I think even more impressive for me is this is just a good it's a good way to show that even when he's not at his best, he finds a way to get through it. You know, I know, you know, you being you, I know you want to get into the stats, but I'll at least start that parade um, a, a little early. Just doing something simple, looking at winners and unforced errors, something that we do often. Throughout the match, he goes 51 and 51. 51 winners and 51 unforced errors. His opponent, Novak, 64 winners and 44 unforced errors. And yet, Hubert Hercatch finds a way to turn this match around and get it done. And so I just I think that's a testament to, you know, not only his tennis ability that we've seen, but also his mental ability that has grown so much. And like I said at the beginning of this, having a win like this under your belt is is huge in terms of confidence, knowing that you can do that. You can call upon this some other time you're down two sets to love and, you know, be able to come up with this sort of win in the future. So this is a big one for me. I'm so I'm glad you pointed out that winner unforced error count, and I want to give a shout out to the Australian Open website, one of the best websites in terms of providing Definitely. stats. You have winners, unforced errors, net points, uh, receiving points, fastest serves, average serve speed, all the things you would hope in 2020 that all of these Grand Slam websites will be able to provide moving forward. You talk about the winner unforced error count in particular. He ends up getting to 51-51, which again, when you can break even in a best of five five set match, that's pretty solid. Uh, there's always going to be ebbs and flows in any match. But through the first two sets, the sets he lost, he had 17 winners against 30 unforced errors. Yeah. Things weren't working for him. The first serve percentage for the match, he ended up, I, I think, in the high 60s. I'll look here. 65% of his first serves in. In those first two sets, he was under that mark. 60, uh, 66%, I should say, in the first set, but then 59% in, uh, in that second set. He really raised his level. He steadied his game. Dennis Novak, credit to him, right, in those first two sets. That's a guy who mm-hmm. was going for his shots. He knew he had to play big, and he did that 64 winner to 44 unforced error count, reflecting that. Uh, but for Hubie Hercatch, even when things weren't working, and throughout the match, it wasn't working on his second serve. In total, he goes 21 of 54 on those points, only 39% win percentage. And yet, he found himself getting in to Dennis Novak's games. Novak only 19 of 45 on second serve points. I thought Hubie did a good job of coming to the net more in those last two sets he 
ends up going 23 of 42 at the net. And he made the match physical, which for a guy who's six foot six, you know, 22, 23 years old for her catch, I think he's 23 now. Um, yeah, 22 years old, turns 23 this year. I mean, this is what we've come to expect. It's a guy with a really high floor. So even on those days when things aren't going well, you saw today he was able to problem solve that he went up a break early in the fifth. And I really think the the set that he stole in the match in a five set match, you always got to steal one set was he probably should have won the first set, but he probably should have lost that fourth set that he was able to hold that one, go up a break early in the fifth, play from ahead, gives that break up, but then gets it right back. It's a testament to the development we've seen from this young Polish player, won his first ATP title at the last of 20, at the end of 2019. I really do think the ceiling for him is very high this season. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like I said before, too, I mean, this win, yeah, it's not pretty. Yeah, of course, you'd probably rather have just the routine 6-2-6 three, six, four, get out of there, be done, especially with some of the big names he's got in the section of the draw. But I also think it's a good experience point. And even, you know, maybe it'll hinder him a little bit in this one. But like you said, he's so young, he's gonna have so many future grand slams to be played. And look, in this five set sort of setup, it's difficult, right? So being able to have the experience of coming back from this and and mounting a huge win, um, I, I don't know, I think it's gonna ultimately behoove him in the future. Yeah, the only brutal part for uh, her catch is that he's got to play again tonight. Uh, you know, he plays yeah. John Millman. They're the nightcap in yeah. on Melbourne Arena. But, you know, to have to play after playing five sets the day before, and a lot of these players are going to be suffering. His opponent, John Millman, played a four-set match himself, fairly physical, mm-hmm. uh, against, I believe it was Ugo Umbert. Yep. Uh, but for Hubie, I, I mean, it, you know, even before the Federer match, again, you're right. I think just the five-set win under his belt, I believe the first of his career, that means something. And so regardless of what happens tonight, successful Australian Open for a guy who, again, it, he hasn't played that many slams in his career, so still earning that sort of experience big for him moving forward another guy who's early in his slam career. can i say guy, one thing last on her catch real quick sorry you're the guest uh, you're the guest today if you were at, <laughs> if you weren't at work lunch i'd say no but of course go for it um i mean my last thing i know you talk about the physicality there of course he's going to be playing millman but you think about it too i mean her catch yeah it's a five setter but really for a five setter this was not that long of a match three hours five minutes and get out of there that's actually not that bad in fact if you look at the umber millman match that you um, were talking about that match was only four sets and went like 20 minutes longer so you talk about it i mean granted millman's a very physical guy he's gonna make it a difficult grinding match so maybe that'll wear down on her catch but something just to keep in mind too yeah it was a five setter you look at the scoreline but at the end it really wasn't as grueling as it could have been yeah, and the other thing, if you're Hubie, um, it, it the big serve. You have a big mm-hmm. weapon to, to rely on. There are ways he can change his game style to shorten points. I agree with you. Uh, he was also the early match, so one of the first mm-hmm. off on the day. Hypothetically, since he's a night match tonight, he really has had 24 hours to recover. That being said, yeah, it's a quick turnover. And Millman, if I saw him across the net and I was sore at all, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, this is who I have to play right now. Like, yeah, yeah, that would just be brutal. But speaking of young guys with things to prove at the Nagers, our next match I want to talk about is the first upset of the day uh, that we'll discuss. The number 20 seed, Felix Ogier Aliasim, the young Canadian, a guy many have had circled as one of the future top players on the ATP Tour for obvious reasons, physically what he's capable of. You know, he was the youngest guy to win a challenger match. He then became the youngest guy to win a challenger since, you know, Nadal, since Gasquet, all these different categories he's broken along the way. A nice little rhyme there. Uh, But 
for FAA. Oh, a three-part rhyme. I'm sorry, Jamie. I'm just feeling myself now. Uh, We still have yet to see him really experience success at the Slams, and he's another guy who you really look throughout the course of his career. He hasn't played that many main draws. He's still under five total, and so for him to be the 20 seed seeded at a major this early in his career, it does feel a little unexpected, and I think that pressure of being a seed, of coming out and expecting to win your first match easily— He felt that a little bit today and got all he could handle, ultimately losing his first-round match to Ernest Sculpis, of all people, who I think last year had two separate losing streaks of 10 matches and 8 matches. Gulbis, who's been hot to start 2020, came out hot and was played so well throughout this match. The firepower evident in Gulbis' 7-5-4-6-7-6-6-4 win. We'll talk about Gulbis in a little bit, but the storyline here, and it was great to have Mike Cation calling the match a voice I'm so familiar hearing, and it's so awesome that ESPN is giving him this sort of opportunity on the biggest of stages. Uh, but for FAA... There was just no plan B today. Him and Golbus were just exchanging slaps, and I think that's a testament to how young he is. You forget because sometimes that power at the 250 level can be overwhelming, but three out of five sets, you got to do a couple of different things, and I just don't think he was able to find that second gear against Golbus. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And for FAA, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to this later when we're talking other upsets, other matches, but perhaps now we're learning um, that you can't just base what you want to see off of the first couple tournaments of the year because I honestly thought Felix looked really good when he played in Adelaide. Yeah, he had that really tight semifinal loss to Rublev, but Rublev Rublev was red hot and that was a, you know, 7-6-6-7-6-4 loss to Rublev. So so he was looking very good tennis-wise. Coming into it, I think you mentioned it, some tricky things with this matchup. I mean, we've known, we've seen Golbus upset people in majors before. He's no stranger to that. And so even though you mentioned, you know, over the last couple of years, some of the really bad streaks and results that Golbus has had, you also know that, you know, that tennis is in there somewhere. And especially if you have a guy who's just going to try and go out there and, and bang balls with you and not adapt, like we saw a little bit too much of from FAA, I mean, you're in danger here. Um, and so I think ultimately you you uh, hit the nail on the head there with what FAA did in terms of strategy. I think also, too, with experience, you know, he'll learn that a little more. But difficult to see somebody like FAA lose a match like this, somebody with so much hope and promise. And, you know, that's not meant to be so bleak. Of course, he still has so much time left. But somebody who you really thought could have had a breakout um, and, and made a deep run in a tournament like this. I think what we're learning is we've all read way too much. In, I think it's the other way. For FAA, yeah, as bad as he looked at, you know, or as good as he looked in Adelaide, he didn't look good during the ATP Cup. And just, I, I think my lesson is no more predictions on these GSP preview podcasts. <laughs> we had a rough run. At least on these next-gen guys, I think we are both so ready to see them break through. They've done it at the 250 level. They've done it at the 500 level. Some of them have done it at the Masters level. It's now, when are they going to do it at the Slams? And we keep thinking, okay, this is the one no this is the one and for FAA yeah it there are just adjustments that need to be made in this match he made 61% of his first serves that's better than Golbus he won 78% of those first serve points but it was the second serve 25 of 54 46% on those Golbus did a really good job of taking care of both of his serves of uh, the first serve he won 79% of points on the second serve 60% you look at the break points in this match Golbus 15 chances 
chances to break FAA, only converted three of them. I suppose that is a testament to FAA's big serve, big forehand combo that can get him out of a lot of jams. Uh, but FAA only two of six in this match on breakpoint chances. He went 21 of 33 at the net. That's fine. But I did think he tried to force his way up a little bit. Uh, that was his second gear. It was, okay, I'm trying to slap with Golbus at the baseline, but that's what he loves doing more than anything. So I'm going to try and move forward. And just the first volley, he gave Golbus a lot of chances to either, you know, whether it was not necessarily at the net, he's moving forward to hit a volley. And Golbus just got a lot of clean looks at first passes. Uh, FAA, when he got a second volley, couldn't put them away uh, often enough. And that's why it's a credit to Ernest Golbus, again, who's the firepower in this match. I know it's 41 winners for 43 unforced errors for Golbus, but I mean, he was slapping the ball Mach 5 off of both wings. I mean, the forehand, his arm no longer is above his head. He's clearly made the shot a little more aesthetically pleasing, thank God. Uh, But it was all just working for him today. See, I disagree with you. I loved the way his stroke always was. No, and and he still has a wacky stroke. Let's Let's not say it's the most beautiful forehand on tour. Um, You're the guest, so I'm not <laughs> going to criticize your forehand, but I have words. Okay, well, um, <laughs> dis- despite how they look, I would still take my forehand over yours in a heartbeat. But that's for another <laughs> that's for another time. Uh, but no, I mean, you're right. I mean, this match, um, I think it's, it's always sort of odd to see. I, I don't know. You, you, you talked about it a little bit at the beginning. Um, we're always rooting for these next-gen guys, right? And I think sometimes that clouds our judgment a little bit into perhaps – overhyping them now and we're always thinking about the potential um i think in this one too fa you 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 talked about it really he would just bang balls from the back and then come into the net if if that was you know something he could do and really that's just not a strategy that's going to work for him we've seen a lot of people go down that way and have those sort of matches where i don't know if the panic is the right word you know you can you can give me another word if you think it is but sometimes it was a little panicky right it was just like oh what do i do i'm coming into the net and you know yeah he converted some of them because he he has those skills and in a transition game that's being developed but ultimately i don't think he went about this match the correct way and and ultimately he paid for it hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline yeah, rough day for the Canadians. Just yeah. rough first two days. Oh, Bozirelio Seam goes down. Shapovalov goes yeah, down. Yeah, tough one. Uh, Lele Fernandez, the young Canadian junior French Open champion from last year, goes down in her first round match. No Bianca Andrescu. Just they're done with Australia. They're like, you know what? We both have left the Queen of England at different points. Let's just stay our separate ways. There should be no intertwining between the two of us. But uh, round there's a little one. That's true. That's true. You know, that's, I guess uh, I'm sure they all have silver lining. Just, they, who don't we all don't we all love watching Milos Raonic? She'll put a smile uh, on anyone's face. But yeah, for FAA, it's back to the drawing board, and there's still a lot of time for him uh, to figure things out. I don't think any of us are concerned. I'll end by saying this: for Ernest Golbus, now you look at his portion of the draw. He's got Bedene next, uh, and then if he's able to win that match, he would play the winner of Gael Monfils, who won in straight sets but kind of injured his hand today, uh, and he's going to play Ivo Karlovic. Ooh, that was the other Canadian loser, Vashik Pospisil, not out by Karlovic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's an injured Golbus, are we going to see Ernest or an injured Monfils? Are we going to see Ernest Golbus sneak into the fourth round? 
Well, so here's the funny thing with Golbus. It's never about the fact that can he pe- beat one person on a given day? Because, you know, we've seen it from the Giant Slayer, right? He's been able to beat big names and draws. But can he do that and then not have a horrible letdown in a match he's supposed to win? Who knows, right? Because there's <laughs> there's a scenario in which he goes out and loses two and two and two to Bedene. But then there's also a scenario where he beats Guy Monfils. So it's just, it's super hard um, to tell with a guy like Golbus. But I mean, in terms of just pure tennis, yeah, it's absolutely feasible for him to do so, especially if Monfils is feeling a little banged up at this point. That's half the fun of Ernest Golbus is that, you know, sure. on any given day, he is that good. And so hopefully we'll get to see more of him later. Someone else who we're going to get to see more of later, another upset winner in our next match, Svetlana Kuznetsova. Someone who, if you've been a fan of tennis these past 10, 20 years, Jamie, like you and I have, you're well aware of her success on the WTA Tour, former Grand Slam champion. Now near the end of her career, we saw uh, her reach you know, play with great form in Cincinnati, go on a run there. But she had a tough first-round matchup in the number 15 seed, Marketa Vandrusova, who made the finals, of course, of last year's French Open. Uh, it was a, a first-round match we all had penciled as one to watch, and it did not disappoint Svetlana Kuznetsova delivering a 6-2-4-6-6-4 win over the lefty Vandrusova in one of our matches uh, to cap off our day of action. This was a really fun one to me, and I'm going to give a credit to uh, Kirkland Purified Water. If I didn't drink so much water beforehand, uh, before going to bed last night, I would not have gotten up at 4.30, 5 a.m. to pee. Had I not gotten up to pee, I wouldn't have watched the end of this match, and it kept me awake. This was a really high level of tennis, Jamie, because I thought Von Drusva did an excellent job of coming back after going down that first set, not letting Kuznetsova just bang away from the baseline. The lefty used her variety to keep Kuznetsova moving around the court, and obviously for Svetlana Kuznetsova, given the fact that she's age 34 in this tournament, she doesn't want to be doing that much movement. She wants to be the one dictating. But in the end, just too much from Kuznetsova, who served so well in this match. She made 70% of her first serves, won 64% of her first serve points in a match that featured 16 total breaks. That's just enough to get the job done. Yeah, it's a lot of breaks. Um, <laughs> we'll just leave it there for, for now. But I mean, no, you, you talk about Kuznetsova. I mean, look, obviously, this is somebody who you mentioned the age, right? She's gonna be turning 35 this summer. Um, somebody who's been around, she's won a couple of grand slams. She knows how to win these sort of matches. Um, and so yeah, I think you I think you make a good point. Vondrasova does a good job of bouncing back after dropping that first set 6-2. Um, however, you know, props to Kuznetsova for not giving up and and you know she knows that she can still do a lot of damage in these draws right I mean next she's taken up um, someone like Georgie another very winnable match and so at this point um, I mean Kuznetsova is very very dangerous we know this not only does she have the experience but just from pure tennis wise you mentioned all the breaks she has the ability to just break people's serves and she's not going to be out of any match Um, and so I mean I think that's probably what she's telling herself going into the third set and and she ultimately gets it done 6-4. I think the difference in the two sets that Kuznetsova was able to win, she goes 8 of 10 in that first set at the net. In the third set, she goes uh, successful as well, 10 of 12. Uh, the difference was she was forcing Vondrusova to hit that passing shot, and when it's you know crunch time, that's the worst, you know, the most difficult shot to hit on a tennis court. Have that pressure on you. Svetlana Kuznetsova dictating throughout the course of this match. You mentioned uh, her winner unforced air, thirty-seven winners, thirty-six unforced airs for Vondrusova, twenty winners against thirty-eight unforced airs. Kuznetsova just played the match on her terms, and look, her first serve average speed ninety-four miles per hour. We can be honest, that's not great. 
Uh, second serve speed, 77 miles per hour. There's a reason Marketa Van Drusva was 7 on ten, uh, seven of 10 on break points in this match. But it's a credit to Kuznetsova to keep banging away on those return games, to go down a break and say, eh, whatever, I'll get it back. Uh, that's the sort of perseverance you need to have, especially in an early first-round match against a seed. It's a credit to Kuznetsova now, who you're right, you look at her draw. Uh, she does have Georgie and then the winner of Han and Kerber. And Angeli Kerber had to retire last week with an ankle injury, so although she got through in straight sets today, it's another player who, like Ernest Golbis, when they're hot on any given day, they can still compete uh, with anyone on tour. And I don't even want to equate Golbis. I would say Kuznetsova is a level b- above that and that even more consistent because there are days when Golbis can't compete with anyone who can hold the tennis racket. Um, but Kuznetsova doesn't have those sorts of days, but it's a testament to her uh, level right now that she was able to get a win over a, a really well-played match from Drusova, who I thought did all she could, again, to extend Kuznetsova to the outer thirds, to make each rally, you know, one extra shot, uh, but just too much firepower from Kuz in the end. Yep, gets it done, and honestly, surprising sometimes to look at these match times, hour 52 for this one in a full three-setter, I swear, I have matches that were, you know, like, you know, 10-point breakers that go, like, 2 hour 45, so yeah. I always look at this and I'm just appalled sometimes, but well, hey... <laughs> I'll say this, Jamie. Uh, I would say you hit a few more slices than these two hit. A couple more Mami slices. Kuznet, yeah, and that really just slows goes. down those. Really slows down those rallies. I'm not concerned <laughs> with the pace of play. In fact, I <laughs> encourage a slower one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So we can leave that there. I'm sure there are follow-ups to have. Well, if pace of play is the thing, then you will love our next match, Jamie, because our last breakdown I want to get to before we talk about the rest of the results in general. A continuation from day one, another one of our five-set battles. Uh, Riley Opelka and Fabio Fognini. And coming into the day, Opelka was up two sets to love, 6-3, 7-6. I think he had held for 1-0 in that uh, third set coming into the day. Uh, They were not the first match on court. But when they got on the court, it was all Fabio Fognini in sets three and four. And in the end, they play a third set super breaker. 10 points uh, at the third set or in the third or fifth set breakers here in Australia and Fonini too good in the end 10-5 he takes it over Opelka doesn't allow Opelka to upset him for the second major in a row I don't even know where to start with this one Jamie because there's the obvious hypothetical in the room of if they finished the match yesterday would Opelka have sealed the job up two sets to love if you watch the match Fonini at that point looked like he wanted no part of the Opelka serve moving forward he just looked mentally physically checked out of the match and yet he was a new man today he came out fresh he came out locked in you look at his numbers in sets three uh four and five set three only 54 percent of his first serves go in but he won 92 percent of his second serve points 12 of 13 in set four he made 70 percent of his first serves really got going set five 63 percent but you look at him on the return only dropped four of a total uh, 20, 35 points on serve in that. So I'm sorry, he went, that is crazy. Just to recap, 31 of 34 on serving points in that first, uh, in that fifth set. Is this a story of Fabio Fonini raising his level? Is this a story of Riley Opelka not being able to handle Fonini's adjustments? What did you take from this match? Because this was a weird one. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things to take from this one. I think you mentioned the obvious hypothetical and Honestly, I think that ended up hurting Opelka because probably throughout the match, he was probably thinking about that and annoyed. 
Um, right. He's probably like, Oh man, I, I could have had this finished off and done. And Fonini just kept plugging away. Um, regardless of what could or could not have happened. I mean, Fonini comes out and wins this thing six, four, six, three, seven, six in those in the third, fourth and fifth set. And, you know, to me, Opoka just didn't make the correct adjustments. Yeah, Fognini, when he gets on fire, very difficult to beat. You've seen him do it. I mean, you've seen him have these sort of comebacks even against guys like Nadal. And he'll go out there and slap 70 winners and, and put together a ridiculous five-set win. So you know that it's not all on Opoka here because Fognini is just that sort of variable. He has that X factor that he can just come up with random shots and have an incredible, incredible performance. And to some degree, that's just what he did. Um, I think in terms of specifics, I think in terms of, I don't know how I want to put it, gaining momentum. Of course, when you're playing a guy like Opelka, you have to capitalize on even the littlest of moments. You get up 15 love um, in his service game, you got to be going crazy and ready for the next one. And that's what Fernini did. He did a really good job. You saw the energy, you saw the fist bumps. Even if Opelka would go down love 15, Fernini was pumped up because he knew this was a shot. Um, so I think he did a really good job mentally of doing that. And he did a great job of capitalizing it. Hey, if Opelka came into the net and Fonini was set, he showed some of the best footwork, which is not always something you see from the Italian, um, and ripped a passing shot. He had some phenomenal passing shots, especially off the backhand side. I would say Opelka sometimes sometimes had the play a little bit too set, and Fonini was ready for the ball a good second and a half before it was even there and just ripped the winner. That's ultimately what did him in in that fifth set breaker. The the momentum really started to swing when Opoka had that low slice approach, hit it cross court to the Fonini backhand. Fonini was already standing there, just rips it up the line, gets all the momentum in the world and ultimately hangs on to it for the 10-5 win. Yeah, this was a tale of two different matches, right? Day mm-hmm. one and day two, completely different stories. And for Opelka, the stat line in total, it reflects really really well upon him. 35 aces, four double faults, 70% of his first serves go in. He's 88 of 118 for 75% win percentage on those points. Did a good job protecting his own second serve, but... The return points were there, and when you're that tall, it's all you know. The serve is going to come easiest. Everything else is going to be more difficult. We see for John Isner and Kevin Anderson, uh, their careers really started to took off when they became most proficient at the net. For Opelka in this match, 25 of 45 at the net. It just felt like he forced himself to be up there, to force Fognini to hit a passing shot. Now, Fognini's the type of guy you kind of do want to put under that sort of pressure because for every beautiful on-the-run winner he hits, there's going to be three slaps that hit the back fence, right? And so you, you, you get the approach from Opelka, but... Just the first volley. It just still needs work. And I I think Riley Opelka played well enough to win this match. He hit 60 winners against 73 unforced errors, which isn't great, but he held serve. He did his job. He only got broken, I think, three times in this match. Twice of them happening. Uh, twice it happened, I believe, in that fourth set. Um, but, you know, it just... I. I I think for a lot of these guys, I think for Alex Virov, I think for Fabio Fon, uh, for Fabio Fonny, for Felix Ogier Aliassime, I think for Denis Shapovalov, all of these young guys, that first volley, getting to the net is one thing, but knowing what you're doing up there is another, and they I, they just still have a little bit of more work, in my opinion. I think so, and obviously you don't want to get in a situation where you're missing a ton of first volleys because you're forcing it, you know, out of respect for Fognini, who can, you know, track things down and make some magic happen. But you're right. I mean, the effectiveness on things like the first volley, not as sharp as it could have been. Ultimately, I don't know if I would go as far as to say is that's why he lost this match, but it, it didn't help him in that regard. 
Yeah, and it, this was a really good match. Again, the story yeah. for Riley Opelka, he's kicking himself. He's like, I wish we could have finished this the first day. For Fabio Fonini, it's a great turnaround, and it gives you momentum. I think he's another one of those guys who's going to have to play later today, but with all due respect to Riley, it's not like that's the most physical of tennis, right? It's more about being mentally focused, uh, executing your own serves, your own plus ones, forcing Riley to move around the court a little bit than it is physically draining. So for Fonini, he's got Jordan Thompson tonight in the night session, I think we should see a good level of play that's physical that's a physical match um so yeah we'll see i mean that's going to be a grind i mean thompson's a guy who's going to make fognini hit a ton of shots from the baseline um so yeah a very different type of style we'll see how fognini adjusts to it right because he goes from one style and playing against riley opelka to a completely different match playing jordan thompson so very different brands of tennis um ultimately i think fognini can do it right he's played everyone across the atp tour but ultimately going to be a quick switch for him yeah, well, speaking of grinds, now comes the really fun part of this podcast. It's time to do some result reading, Jamie. I know something you are so excited for. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with the upsets. Uh, we mentioned already Kuznetsova over Vondrusova. We mentioned Goldless over Oshir Aliasim. Uh, four more upsets to talk about, three on the women's side, one on the men's side. In terms of seeds going down, you tell me, Jamie, did any of these results shock you? Jabour knocking off the number 12 seed, Kanta 4-2. and two. Diaz over the number 21 seed, Anisimova, 6-3, Tomjanovic over the number 31 seed, Sevastova, 1-1. One and, one. and on the men's side, Paparin knocking off the 28 seed, Sanga, 6-7, 6-2, Sanga retired due to injury. Any of those really stand out to you as particular? I, I suppose for me, uh, you know, it's really just Diaz knocking off Anisimova in three. I had Jabour, you know, the one prediction I got right, uh, Jabour over Kanta. I also had Paparin over Sanga just because I, for Sanga, at this point of his career, uh, five set matches, especially against a young 21 year old big serve, big forehand player in Popperin, always going to be tough. I suppose Tom Janovic winning one and one is a little bit shocking, but Anisimova is the only seed losing that really caught me off guard. Yeah, and I think when you look at Anisimova too, it's it's difficult because once again, somebody who we saw a lot of promise from in Auckland, right? Um, she had that run to the semifinals. Ultimately, she she got beat pretty badly by Serena, but was showing a really high level of tennis. So I would I would agree that was the one I was most surprised by. I mean, I think Sanga, you you talked about it. How I mean, it's it's difficult declaring this one a win for you because Sanga had to retire. Um, ultimately, <laughs> we saw the level drop quite a bit, and he clearly was not right after winning that first set. So. If that wasn't the case, who knows? I think Sanga definitely could have won this match had the, the um, physical nature not been what it was. He won that first set 7-6. Then, you know, the second and third sets are blowouts because there's clearly something bothering him, which is unfortunate. And I don't know if you if you heard um, Popperin talk about it all, but pretty emotional for him because he talked about how Sanga was one of the guys he idolized. And so it was just difficult to see him struggling and in pain like that. And you mentioned Sanga, of course, um, just at a different stage in his career, right? He's going to be turning 35 this spring, another one of those older crop. And, you know, how much tennis is left in him? How many runs can he put together? I don't know. This one, not horribly surprising, but at the very least, unfortunate to see him go down and retire after winning a first set. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think for Popperin to get a win on his home turf, uh, that's always, you know, you're always going to play that much better when it's your home slam. Uh, but it, it didn't shock me. It does it does suck that we don't get to see Joe Wilfred Sanga at his healthiest all the time anymore because obviously that's a guy you and I grew up with just as much uh-huh. as Popperin. So agree with you there. For Nisimova, yeah, it's a really tough loss. And you know, it's just what a joke. By the way, I don't know if you read there was there was a writer uh, who asked her. Obviously, her father passed I saw away that. this past off season, I did. and I asked did you know if that played a factor in the loss. Like, are you are you kidding? Like, really? That's the question you're going to ask her in that moment. I you know I really don't enjoy criticizing other journalists. I everyone's got their own spiel, uh, I suppose. In a capitalist economy, the cream will rise to the top anyway so people with like that sort of garbage uh shouldn't be respected moving forward it's just like what are we doing there come on be a little bit better uh than that uh but yeah upset wise really nothing too unsettling now that being said we mentioned this at the top there were so many three and five set battles at the wta and atp level respectfully uh, a lot of results to list through jamie let's start with the wta and again if any of them in particular stand out let me know at the end our three set winners were the number 18 seed ali risk 20 seed caroline mukova uh the 26 seed uh danielle collins dart garcia cornet mugarusa rus rodianova hibino minin all three set winners over their opponents twice the third set 10 point tiebreaker in in the Mukova over Flipkins match and the Dart over Doi match. Uh, but any, the, the only result to me that really I was surprised to see go three was Danielle Collins, who was playing so well at the kickoff uh, of this 2020 season. You have to wonder, did she use up all of the tank in those first two weeks? And not to say that she can't advance further here. You know, she's the defending semifinalist. But to play that well three weeks in a row, unless you're the number one, number two, number three player in the world, it's really difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, a little odd. Um, I mean, more than anything, though, I don't think it's, I don't want to try to extrapolate too much from it, because ultimately, I think it was more just a blip in the second set, right? She came out firing 6-1 in the first, um, then got it back together in the third and won 6-4. So nothing too dangerous for me. I mean, she's got Putin Seva next. Um, I think she's still the heavy favorite there, and I'm expecting a high level of tennis. A little, I agree with you, I would have more have expected this to be like a one and three match, but, you know, has that blip in the second set, gets it done overall. So it doesn't, you know, nothing too big there. Yeah, I, I think I'm curious. What do you think? We talked about it with Sanga had this. Ha- Sanga Opelka had this happen with Fonini. Mukova uh, had it here. Dart had it, and then as well as we'll get to Anderson, Jerasimov, uh, playing th- uh, playing these third set breakers. What do you think? Our third set, fifth set breakers. What do you think of the super breaker? I mean, um, I, I mean, look, you, you probably did the same. But growing up, you know, playing ten point breakers isn't anything new to me, so it doesn't seem that odd. Um, I'm very used to that sort of format, especially if a third set, you know, a full third set wasn't employed in like a USDA match, right? You're playing a 10 set breaker. Um, so definitely played my fair share of them. Personally, I mean, I'm more on the side of don't implement these things than do. Um, so for, I mean, it's fine. I'll put it that way. Um, it, it forces an end in some ways. I think that robs the end of a match because I think you know you wonder what it could have been you're simply just cutting it short because it needs to be done which I understand I mean that's the whole point of tie breaks in the first place and and, and at some point yes somebody has to be declared a winner sometimes it seems a little abrupt um, the 10 point is fine I think it's probably better than a seven pointer because it makes it a little more special in that final deciding set third or fifth set respectively um, but 
either way, I mean, it is what it is, right? Those are the rules now. And so that's how these players are playing. And um, ultimately, yeah, you, you mentioned it. We've seen it employed a few times already. I think, I mean, for the most part, it's going fine. It makes some for some exciting moments for the fans, right? You know, if you have, hypothetically, you have a 13-11 win, you know, people are going to be very excited about it. You, you've already seen that a ton on the doubles side of the tour, especially. Um, so it's not the worst thing, just sometimes a little unfortunate because I feel like, eh, match is probably cut a little short. I'll say this on a, on a match with eighty eight day uh, eighty eight ma- on a match on a day with eighty eight matches being played, it was much appreciated. Um, Fair enough, but it, but I, I think it, it's the same argument as the best of three versus best of five at majors for the men. So just curious, want to get a feeler for you there. I don't think uh, I, I think again, it's still to be tested, right? I we all enjoyed the ten point breaker that Federer and Djokovic played uh, in that Wimbledon finale because there was the finality to it all. Uh, but it, we'll see how it, we can. It, it jury's still out is the thing. Um, but okay, yes. getting to the five set battles uh, to move on here because again, we got a lot of results to get through and not a lot of time. We don't want to keep you here forever. Benoit Paire, Basilishvili, the only two men seeds uh, pushed to five sets outside of, I suppose, Hubie Hercatch uh, and Fabio Fognini, so two of four. Uh, they both emerge as winners as well, taking out uh, both Steb and Quan, respectively. You move through the rest of the five set matches. Anderson, a winner over Ivashka, Davidovich, Fokina over Gambos, Jerasimov over Rude, Erber over Nori, Krajinovic over Halis, Tablio, Galan, uh, Pullmans over Kukushkin, Bolt over Ramos Vinolas, and Bedene over Duckworth. Any of those in particular stand out to you, Jamie? Because in general, what I just saw was it was a lot of good tennis. It was good tennis. I mean, I think uh, I would have been very shocked had Anderson not come out with that one. That was the one that I was you know, lucky enough to be able to watch a decent amount of this morning. Um, I think that the Casper Rude result, the loss in five there, um, is probably the one that surprised me the most just because I thought we had saw some re- I thought we had seen some really good tennis from him as of late. Um, and I know, you know, you and I were both talking about that setting up that clash next round with Zverev, who did get through. Would have been interesting. Now I think Zverev a heavy favorite um, and probably done some favors, not only by the fact that it's not Casper Rude, but also by the fact that um, it was an exhausting five-setter, 10-6 in that fifth set. Um, so it is what it is. I mean, I think obviously Casper Rude, a guy that we were going to be rooting for, uh, but a phenomenal level of tennis. And um, ultimately, that's the one that stands out to me in terms of a surprise. Two things for you. One, rooting for. Hey, great shot. That was pretty funny. Uh, B, yeah, unintentional puns. Always a fan of here at the mini break. Uh, B, yeah, I I was watching that match. I didn't actually gamble on it, but I gave some advice on yesterday's mini break. I called for an 11-man, 5-to-1 parlay. I want you to know that 10 of the 11 winners hit. And then, again, once again, that late-night water. paying a dividend. I saw Casper Rude going on court around 4.30, stayed up to watch it. Uh, those first, I mean, Rude should have had that second set. And mm-hmm. what it, what I saw against Jerasimov and Casper Rude is the same thing I saw with FAA. The ball striking, the big serve, big forehand, when it looks good, it's dominant. Uh, but there's still no plan B. And I think that was exposed by Jerasimov, who's 6'5", 6'6", had big serve, big forehand himself, wanted to move forward. Uh, I think it was a good result for Kasper Ruud. You would have liked to see him do a Hubie Hurt catch there, come that back from two sets to love, pull out that third, uh, fifth set super breaker. I'm so used to saying the third set super breaker, Jamie, like you, because I grew up playing it. Um, but yeah, they're just I, I want to see the plan B from Kasper Ruud. If I was going to throw out anything else, Davidovich Fokina, man, that guy's a hustler. Doesn't matter the surface. He's tracking down every extra ball 
There's not a single ounce of quit in his attitude. Herbert Nori was fantastic. Just overall, really fun day of tennis on both the ATP and WTA sides. And to wrap up these results, I want to get to the seeds and the rest of the normal play throughout the day. Uh, we'll start with the WTA because everything else there, uh, all straight set matches. All of the seeds looking really good, top 10-wise. Pliskova, Halep, Svitolina, Bencic, Burton's Keys, uh, Kerber, Vekic, Sakari, Yastremsko, Wong, Rybakina, all straight set winners, and they all looked really good doing it, Jamie. Yeah, no, they looked pretty solid. Um, I think that's what, you, obviously, you expect that coming out of those top seeds, but, um, you know, obviously, as we move through next day and next day and next day, it becomes more interesting, right? So as we get some of these clashes with other people throughout their sections, it's going to be a little more uh, tested for sure, but yeah, I mean, We've seen our fair share of flameouts early at the major, so good to, good to not see too many of those from the top seeds on the women's side. Yeah, and to know that a lot of them are going to be playing again tomorrow. Yastremska is taking on Wozniacki. That's a really fun uh, day two, day three match for us to watch. Uh, there's a lot of good players in play as well just throughout the night, so it's going to be a really high level of tennis. And again, I think all of us are happy to see the seeds on the women's side advance thus far. You look at the other results from there. Herzog, Han, CC Bellis, Yelena Ostapenko, Blinkova, Davis, Georgie, Farrow, and Sigamund, the other winners on the WTA side. You flip to the men here again. The only seeds outside of the ones we've mentioned thus far to drop sets. Medvedev goes four against Tiafo. Hachinov, Rublev, tough day for the Russians. They all go four sets, but all eventually win. Wawrinka, Isners, Kareno, Busta, all guys who drop sets. Of the group that drops sets, any concerns for you, or is just four sets is sometimes what happens in a first-round Grand, Grand Slam match? Sometimes it happens. I mean, especially the one like Wawrinka, what is a 7-6 uh, match. I mean, look, you're playing just these elite players on the big stage, so it's really not that surprising. Good for Francis Tiafo to get a set. I was honestly very happy to see him get a set. Um, would have been sad to just see him go with it with a straight set, like a three and two and three loss. So very glad he was able to to get some traction there. Um, for the most part, nothing too concerning. No. Yeah, uh, for me, it, that Rublev lost a set six zero. Uh, we talked about the that concerns before. Weird. Is yeah. is he gassed? Uh, well, when you're throwing away a set six zero, my answer is maybe you are a little bit gassed. Uh, for Isner, we didn't miss a step six seven seven six seven six seven six. Welcome back, John Isner, to the 2020 season. Uh, for Francis Tiafo, I agree with you. And look, in the live rankings with this loss, he's dropping to number seventy eight. That's brutal, Jamie. That's and we'll tough. talk about that plenty after this tournament finishes. Uh, but it was a really high level match. In that Medvedev Tiafo. Medvedev, a yeah. guy who likes to play with his food, Tiafo, always down to have a little fun on the court. And it was a really high level of tennis from both of those guys, but I agree. More just the the parody between them all. You're going to drop a set every now and then. Uh, you look at the rest of the seats who got through in straight sets. Top 10 wise, Nadal, Team, Zverev, Bautista, Gut, Monfils, all getting the job done. For Alex Zverev, he's pledged $10,000 now for each win and his entire check if he wins this tournament to the Wildlife Fund, uh, helping with these. Australian fires helping combat them take care of uh, all of the aftermath uh look he needed the karma gods to flip and if anything's gonna do it this is the thing Jamie yeah maybe that's the play right maybe it's not yeah. just being altruistic it's just you know no, to he's a great side. man <laughs> no, and, and, and you love it I'm but kidding, you gotta you gotta say that if anything and it's so admirable but if anything's gonna flip it that's the narrative. Uh, again, the other seeds who won, Gofan, Schwartzman, uh, Lajovic, Fritz, Rayanich, Kyrgios, all straight set winners. Another cool thing, John McEnroe, $1,000 for every set. Kyrgios wins the rest mm-hmm. of the way. You could see on Kyrgios' face, he was really flattered by it. He appreciated that sort of uh, thing, that sort of gesture from John McEnroe. Uh, and again, another incentive for him to beat Nadal in the fourth round and make me it look somewhat 
competent um, <sighs> moving forward. You talk about the rest of the next-gen guys. Uh, mixed bag of results for them. We've talked about Opelka losing, obviously, earlier. Chorich, Shepovalov, FAA all going down. Uh, we did have some winners, though. Yannick Sinner, Michael Moat, Christian Guerin, Mikhail Yimmer, Haomi uh, Munar, uh, Tommy Paul, all winners in their matches. Uh, and again, it's the, the changing of the guards, that there's a solid cohort of next-gen winners. These guys are ready to win Grand Slam matches. Yeah, it's fun to talk about the next-gen and not have you know a list of three names, right? Now it's, yeah, a, full, exactly. it's a full group that seem to be moving in the same direction, and, and that's always fun for us. Yeah, um, what wasn't fun, watching Mumir Kesmenovic, one of the next-gen guys who loses someone I was way too high on coming into yeah. this tournament, clearly. Not too high on, just too soon. Uh, round of 16 is a Perhaps. little hot. He loses to Andreas Seppi, uh, Chris Eubanks, a loser to Gojowitz, Ugo Umbert, knocked out by John Millman, Sasha Bublik, lo- losing to Jordan Thompson, Courtney Moutet, who we saw make a final early in 2020, knocked out by an informed Marin Cilic in straight sets. Uh, again, it's a mixed bag of results for these next-gen guys. But yeah, what that shows is there's 10 guys in the main draw. These guys are ready, uh, at least. You know, there's more than 10. So uh, you go through the rest. By the way, congratulations to you, Jamie, on your win over Paulo Cuevas. Uh, that, of course, is a joke, saying Jill Simone was a winner. Ito, Sagita, Sandgren, Verdasco, Martinez, Delbonis, Karlovich, the rest of our winners on the men's side. 88 matches up, 88 matches down, Jamie. You thought we weren't going to get through them all. But it sets up a blockbuster day three, and I think we still have eight additional matches to be played tomorrow from the first round but outside of that a bunch of second round action as well jamie we can end on this real quickly give me three matches you're watching most closely tomorrow oh and first of all let me let me just say this i didn't say we couldn't get through them all i said it would be difficult and would we just be listing them so I, I, let's just clear <laughs> the air there um, mixed no, bag I mean, on that there's a lot of there's a lot of ones to watch i mean i think on the men's side Definitely a soft spot, of course, for Tommy Paul. Taking on Grigor Dimitrov, slated to go on at like 9.30 Eastern time. Definitely going to be pulling that one up. Dan Evans, Nishioka is another one that I'm going to be really hot on. I mean, I know you've talked about me talking about Dan Evans. You know, he had that grind of a win, and now he's getting back on the court. Um, There's so many we could pick from. We already talked about her catch and his grind that's going to be taking place when he's taking on John Millman. Ah, There's so many. Mm, Those are some good ones to start with. Um, I, on the women's yeah. side, I mean, I think Plushkova Watson could be an interesting one, actually. Um, that's slated to go on at about 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and then Zang Katie McNally at 7 Eastern time as well. So there's a lot to watch, and I'm excited. There's the Maniki Car Bowl. There's the Little Caesars Pizza Pizza Bowl. And then there's the GQ Hanson Bowl, which is Tommy Paul Grigor Dimitrov tonight. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That's a good one. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki, Diana Yastremska. Yep. I'm not going to make a handsome joke here, but for Yastremska, I mean, she could end Caroline Wozniacki's Australian Open career tonight. I mean, that mm-hmm. is a feasible scenario. Now, Yastremska played yesterday, and so that's, of course, something to watch. But that's on the table. Yeah, outside of that, really good matches up and down uh the, the, the lits, the slate. RBA, Michael Moe, I'll be locked in on that. Mm-hmm. Sophia Kennan versus uh, last year Junior Grand Slam champion, the young American, Ann Lee. Uh, that'll be a really fun match as well. Doubles underway today. Ty- Taylor Townsend, Jessica Pegula, one of the first-round matches that hasn't get, gotten played yet. That'll be kicking off as well. Davidovich, Fokina, Schwartzman. I'm all in on all of the action. Hopefully yeah. you listeners are as well. And if you've missed anything, of course, be sure to check out these mini breaks each and every day as we try and recap cap the previous day's action preview the stuff ahead if gambling is your sort of thing be on the lookout for kale's lock of the day breaking down the bets again yesterday i was one casper 
fifth set breaker away from hitting an 11-man 5-1 to parlay. So maybe if I think of something else juicy, I'll tweet it out tonight at our on our Twitter accounts, at Crack It's at Great Shot Podcast. You know the deal by now for the immediate updates. And of course, I will continue to ask you, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast moving forward. Jimmy, fun slate of matches ahead. And as always, appreciate you calling in on your lunch break. Always appreciate the work of our super producers as well, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who have and continue to have a f- an editing job to do. But with that in mind, for our my wonderful co-host, not just today, but throughout the week, James Foster McDonald, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 